the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to remember Congressman Dale Kildee today with his nephew and successor in Congress, Dan Kildee, who grew up in the glow of Dale Kildee's 36-year run as the face of working-class mid-Michigan. Then we're going to talk about comedian Dave Chappelle and the controversy stemming from his recent Netflix special. What are we to make of provocative content that both undermines and asks us to take deeper note of the scope and bounds of intersectionality? That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you decided to join us. Former Michigan Congressman Dale Kildee passed away this week at the age of 92. The Flint Democrats served in Congress for 36 years alongside other political giants from our state, such as John Dingell and Carl Levin. Kildee was an unabashed champion of organized labor, and the former high school teacher also fought for public education initiatives, including efforts to bolster early childhood education through Head Start. He was succeeded in Congress by his nephew, current Congressman Dan Kildee, who joins me now to talk about his uncle's life, his career, and his legacy. Dan Kildee, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, first of all, of course, condolences uh, to your family. Uh, tell us about the loss of your uncle. Well, it's you know this is hard. Even though we, you know, prepare ourselves for these sorts of things, Dale was ninety-two years old. We knew, you know, although at times it seemed like it, he was not going to live forever. Uh, so, at this point, obviously, we're dealing with it more as the personal loss that it is. He was the last of the generation of our family, uh, that particular generation, there were five children in that group, my dad being one of them who we lost a few years ago, and now, you know, Dale's gone. So for us, it's it's mostly that personal loss. But obviously, um, you know, given the work that I have done and the path that I have followed, there's a pretty close link between the personal life of Dale Kilby and my own personal path so it's uh you know it's it's doubly difficult for me because this was my my mentor my teacher and in his later years uh you know a really good guide and advisor to me so it's a it's a big loss sure so yesterday on the show we had u.s senator debbie stabenow as a guest and she called your uncle mr flint saying that he embodied that city and fought for the kinds of things that working people in Flint needed most. Now, I can remember, it might have been 15 years ago at this point, that you took me on a tour of Flint that included uh, taking a look at where your family was from, where your, your roots were in Flint. And what I remember about that was how representative uh, that tour was of of what I think of when I think of Flint. Uh, I, I said in the open that your uncle was the face of um, working class mid-Michigan, uh, and he really didn't have to pretend to that uh, to that face. I mean, that that's where your family is from. That's where your family is rooted. I'm not sure everybody understands quite how wedded your history is uh, to that to that legacy yeah. that's for sure i mean <clears throat> our family story is similar to tens and tens of thousands of family stories uh, the family came to flint to find the opportunity my grandfather well believe it or not was a was a lumberjack in northern michigan and when the auto factories were hiring in the 1920s you know, he brought the family here, and you know, Dale and my dad and my aunts uh, and my uh, you know the rest of the family they grew up 
and that really modest is a kind word, that really poor neighborhood on the east side of Flint. The family had a about a 900 square foot house. And, you know, we didn't, I, I grew up in a similar home just a couple of blocks away. None of us knew, you know, I'm sure Dale and my dad and the others didn't, didn't know that they were basically uh, poor at that point in time uh, because that was just life. But he grew up um, in that environment. My grandfather would walk 12 blocks every day to work, work in the factory, worked hard. And I think that helped form the way Dale looked at the whole world. Um, I think it's the reason he saw the value in labor unions, because he saw the family's life improve dramatically after that first UAW contract in 1937. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think he also um, invested so much of his energy in education because his his own life was transformed by the fact that he got to go to college. He was the first in the family to do that. And it put him on a path that obviously was a different trajectory than he would have experienced otherwise. So when we think about his commitment to labor and to workers and his commitment to education, I think a lot of that is born of his life experience on the east side of Flint. Yeah. So as I said in the open, you're his successor, in Congress, something I have always thought is really interesting and important symmetry here in in Michigan. Talk about your own representation of Flint and how Dale Kildee shaped the way you see the job and the way you see the relationship to your constituents. Well, you know, my my career path was was really affected by you know my admiration of him. Both my parents, of course, were very politically active, um, good, good um, guides for me in that sense. But Dale showed me a way to put those values to work. And, and, you know, when I was 18 years old, I worked on his campaign for Congress. And as soon as that campaign was over, I launched my own campaign for the Board of Education in Flint. So it's really difficult for me to separate the two because he was – you know, that mentor, he was that role model that I was able to, to follow. And I, well, well, my personal style and some of the issues that I take on um, differ from his. Even some issues he and I uh, differed on. What I have tried to do, and now I feel even more obligated to do, is to walk in his footsteps in the sense that the way he carried himself the way he interacted with people, more than, in some ways, more than the the sort of policies he pursued represent a legacy that I think we all should take to heart, especially right now, especially in this sort of political moment that we're in now. If there were more people, uh, not just in government, but in society generally, that followed his uh, example of kindness and decency, um, I think we'd have a different, we'd have a different world. We'd have a, certainly a different government. Mm-hmm. The, ang- the anger and the poison that seems to be so pervasive in today's political space was something that Dale Kildee never exhibited. He embraced his opponents. He loved people. Didn't matter if you were the Speaker of the House or the you know, the person working in the garden outside the Capitol. Uh, he treated people with such dignity and he carried himself with such grace. I think that's the the most important legacy because it's so lacking in today's political di- uh, dialogue and so necessary for us hmm. to be able to work together and live together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I do want to give you a chance to talk about some of the more personal, cherished memories you have of your uncle. As After all, he was not just the congressman from Flint. He was a family member. Uh, What are some of the things that stand out? Well, you know, just his sense of humor. You know, we, we come from a big Irish Catholic family, and he, he embraced that. He, you know, we, 
we uh, once just coincidentally ended up in Ireland at the same time. He was there with his family. I went over with mine, and this was 20-some years ago, probably more than that. And, you know, it's a little comical, but seeing him there um, on vacation, I realized that as much time as I had spent with him growing up all through my life, I had almost never seen him in anything but a, like a navy blue or black three-piece suit. <laughs> and then here he was, you know, wearing his little Irish cap, and I thought to myself, wow, this, he always was so formal. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember once going to visit uh, him at his house in Washington when I happened to be in town, and as I pulled up, he was mowing the lawn in his suit. I mean, he was a very formal guy, on one hand, but obviously a fun and ridiculous sort of personality on the other. You know, <laughs> it sort of typified him. He was always, always ready, always ready to work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dan Kildee, again, really sorry for your family's loss and for the loss, frankly, to the, the city of Flint. Uh, but, but great to have you here to talk about uh, your uncle's legacy. Thank you so much, Stephen. I appreciate it. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Dave Chappelle's controversial new stand-up special on Netflix. We'll hear from two black queer voices from here in Detroit about their reactions to words he said about the LGBTQ community and especially trans people. And we'll talk about whether it's okay to talk about intersectionality in the way that he did, both by undermining its effectiveness and maybe by trying to draw attention to its limits. Also want to hear from you listeners about what you're thinking about Dave Chappelle's stand-up, which took place here in Detroit, and the controversy it has inspired. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. So comedian Dave Chappelle can't seem to stop causing trouble each time he comes here to Detroit. Back in 2015, crowds demanded refunds when Chappelle slurred his way through a disastrous stand-up set in which he appeared visibly intoxicated. Now, his latest appearances in Detroit were filmed for a new Netflix special, and that special, The Closer, is causing a massive backlash against Chappelle from the LGBTQ community and allies for what they say are blatantly homophobic and transphobic messages. Now, I want to start by having us listen to just a bit of what he said, and we need to warn you that you might find what he says in this clip triggering or otherwise offensive. Cancel J.K. Rowling. My God, J.K. Rowling wrote all the Harry Potter books by herself, and they canceled it because she said in an interview, and this is not exactly what she said, but effectually, she said gender was a fact. And then the trans community got mad as they started calling her a turf. I didn't even know what that was. But I know that trans people make up words to win arguments. Turf is an acronym. Stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist. This is a real thing. Now I shouldn't speak on this. Because I am not a woman. Nor am I a trans. But as we've established, I am a feminist. I'm Team Turf. I agree. I agree, man. Gender is 
a fact. You have to look at it from a woman's perspective. Gender is a fact. This is a fact. Every human being in this room, every human being on Earth, had to pass through the legs of a woman to be on Earth. That is a fact. Now, we're going to spend the rest of the hour talking about the things that Dave Chappelle said in that comedy set, including what we just heard. A little later, we're going to hear from a social psychologist who has studied the effects of offensive and disparaging humor for more than 20 years. That's going to be a conversation about the ways in which provocation sometimes is a gateway to ideas and exchange and thinking through comedy, but other times it's just plain old offensive. But first, I want to welcome two black queer voices from here in Detroit who have a lot to say on their own about this Chappelle special and the language that he was using. Dr. Reverend Roland Stringfellow is a senior pastor and teacher at Metropolitan Community Church in Detroit, which serves the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, Reverend Stringfellow, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Also with us is Aya Simone, who is a Detroit-based multidisciplinary artist, a creator, co-writer, and director of the fictional web series Femme Queen Chronicles. Aya Simone, welcome to Detroit Today. What up, though? Good morning. <laughs> hey. So, Aya, as a trans woman who writes comedy for Femme Queen Chronicles, I am really curious, uh, just off the rip, what goes through your mind when you listen to Dave Chappelle's words in this special? I'm hearing someone who maybe who has like, you know, who is a part of our cultural lexicon, who is very famous, who's very classed, who, you know, in the early 2000s, 2010s, were like, was really like a, like a roaring line through like the comedy circuit and, you know, especially with black people and I'm seeing them grapple with the changing landscape of comedy and what we find funny as uh, millennials or Gen Z, Gen Alpha. And I, I see him struggling to kind of like hold on to his title. And, you know, I see a man that's like struggling with the loss of like perceived power, however small the, the community or group that he's punching down at may actually be. He's, he's, he, it's almost like he's seeing us as a big monster that is trying to attack him and not doing enough self-awareness to like inquire about like maybe why or you know maybe he's just not as funny <laughs> anymore mm. <laughs> and like he's not as like adept when it comes to addressing topics that he knows nothing about Hmm. So, so I, I want you to expand just a little on on that and talk about why, as a member of the communities that that you belong to, you don't see what he's saying as an invitation to a conversation about intersectionality and maybe its limits. That that the way he says what he says lands like a punch on you uh, rather than an embrace or in, an invitation. I mean, I think it's really important to point out uh, how the victims or the objects of uh, his comedy feel uh, about what he said. Yeah, I mean, you know, they are offensive, you know. It, it's also, it's offensive, right? But it's also he doesn't know what he's talking about because gender is not a fact. And just because J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series doesn't mean she's an expert on gender. Gender is a construct. It's also it's what's funny is not actual his comedy or his attempt at comedy. What's funny is actually he is literally not saying anything that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it is offensive regardless because while he pretends like he's kind of a, like he's kind of responding to this small community, which is the trans community compared to the larger world, um, I think he seems to not 
understand in that moment or like not care that moment that he isn't saying anything original or like <laughs> outside of the norm. The vast majority of the world believes or rather the vast majority of American people believe that gender is a fact mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, and they, they use whatever, you know, you've seen the comments when you post trans people online. Like you see the vast majority of people are commenting uh, misgendering like throwing transphobic epithets all of those things at at a photo on facebook so it's it's, i think what's more clear to me is how you know we're spending this whole segment like talking about what he says when he doesn't even know what he's talking about Hmm. when there's you know trans people who we could be focusing on (laughs) you know what i mean like in their work and like ending gender violence Hmm. Uh, Roland, uh, I want to turn to you now. You've said that Dave Chappelle was one of your favorite comedians. I think there are a lot of people, and especially a lot of African-Americans, who might say the same thing about Dave Chappelle. But I wonder what you make of him now after hearing and seeing some of the things that he does in this special. Well, you know, uh, a friend and I were planning to get tickets to that very show. And, um, you know, they sold out a lot of hot, like hotcakes. And um, <clears throat> I didn't necessarily watch, was one of the first viewers of the special when it came out on Netflix. I began to hear the controversy, but I also wanted to then look at it for myself. And I wanted to pick up on something that Aya uh, just mentioned about really kind of being out of touch and out outdated with your comedy, because I liken this special, The Closer, to someone who was not part of my generation, was a generation before, but Don Rickles who would, you know, his stick was insult comedy. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously a particular genre that uh, various comedians use. And so that indeed is what Dave Chappelle has built his brand upon, is not only going up to the line of offensiveness, but oftentimes crossing it. So me as a a black man, um, you know, watched the show almost religiously when it was on Comedy Central. And, you you know, there was times that I'm like, ooh, that's kind of, you know, to the line or over. But I saw it in a, in, in, in a particular context. However, this particular special, I just think it is just quite different than almost anything else that he has done because the vast majority of the jokes that he was making was geared towards the LGBTQ community. And it wasn't in, you know, you, you asked Aya the question about, you know, can we, do you feel that he's presenting his material in a way that creates dialogue? Well, you know, woven throughout his stand-up performance was about when people have tried to engage him in dialogue. Hmm. Now, granted, they may have approached him in a way that has been more, you know, aggressive, you know, at least how he perceived or at least how he described it. But nonetheless, he is letting all of us know he is not open to dialogue at all, that he uses, in my opinion, what a lot of people use, uh, you know, a a phrase that I don't think we should, but cancel culture. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just trying to silence me. They're just trying to, you know, and, and I believe that when someone who is from one of the most disenfranchised communities is telling you this is offensive, this is hurtful, this is, you know, wrong that you, you then should be able to draw the line between what is, um, you know, funny versus making someone the brunt of a joke. And especially towards the transgender community that, you know, again, I agree with Aya. I don't know if he really understands the types of violence that, or at least the depth of violence that the trans community faces. He, he, reference it, but he does it in a way that is very dismissive. And that adds to the hurt and the harm. And so I'm awfully glad. In fact, I talked to my friend uh, recently. It's like, I am so glad I was not in that audience because I would have been offended. I would have been cringing. And, um, you know, and and already this is just something that's like, you know, bro, I can't, I, I can't stand with this. Hmm. So, so, Roland, you, you compared this to Don Rickles, uh, yes. which I think is a really interesting 
comparison. Do you do you see this simply as insult comedy and nothing more? There that there is no value to what he's saying and doing other than to make a group of people uh, the victims of of his humor. Now, if you take a look at Dave Chappelle's body of work from you know beginning to now, no, because he, I think, has been brilliant in terms of his social commentary on race and racism. And that is part of what has drawn me, you know, to his comedy, very mm-hmm. much like Key and Peel on, on Comedy Central or or whatever station that was on. But nonetheless, this particular uh, you know, uh stand-up show. Now, granted, other people say, you know, you can go back through all of his, um, you know, material and find various things. But this one in particular just um, put me into the mindset of Adon Rickles because it was, um, you know, not, not and not just around LGBT. And I think many of your listeners who have watched it, uh, hopefully, they would have also cringed as he talked about the Me Too movement and and um, just just even um, you know punching and you know beating up a lesbian. So it was just you know, it just it, I, you know I, I I I was uncomfortable. I think it, you know I can't speak for people who watched it themselves or live, but you know to me it was like nervous laughter. You were just like when you see someone literally being punched or kicked or assaulted. You know, it's like, where, where where does the funny stop and where does the offense begin? Hmm. And to me, that's part of that line that I felt that he crossed. Hmm. I'm talking with Reverend Roland Stringfellow, senior pastor and teacher at Metropolitan Community Church in Detroit. Uh, also with Aya Simone, a Detroit-based multidisciplinary artist, creator, and co-writer co and director of the fictional web series Femme Queen Chronicles we're talking about Dave Chappelle and his latest Netflix special and all of the controversy that it has uh, raised up uh, from a number of different communities uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation as well what's your reaction to Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special do you think there's room in comedy for pushing boundaries and being subversive when dealing with social norms And can you do that without causing harm to oppressed communities in this country? Uh, Do you think our society has become too sensitive to these kind of things? Or do you think it's a good thing that we're challenging people who say harmful and offensive things and trying to hold them accountable? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I want to read some social media comments here. Uh, Amanda on Twitter says, uh, he doubled down on being a turf and has to tank the lumps for that. It's not revolutionary. It's taking the easy way out of expanding a world view. And it's not a fact that everyone had to pass through the legs of a woman to be in the world. She says, hello, C-section. Very interesting retort to some of the things that we heard Dave Chappelle say in the clip that we played. Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, when Dave Chappelle was making himself and black folks be the butt of jokes, there was no problem. But as soon as he decided to speak on the differences, the way blacks are treated versus others, it's a problem. Folks are mad he spoke on the issue, but not about the issue itself. Uh, let's go to the phones here and start with Larry in Detroit. Larry, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you and good morning to you, your guests in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I just want to say quickly that, you know, George Carlin, the great, commun- uh, the great comedian and, and activist, once said, don't t- teach your children uh, what to think, but teach them how to think. And I think that everybody deserves an opportunity to at least hear what he said and make your own decisions. But my point that I'd like to make this morning is the fact that I have an issue with his trying to inject the N-word into the contemporary uh, lexicon of the American language. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, he uses that every five seconds to the point that if you don't know what the N-word means, then you really can't speak in contemporary America today. So 
I really have an issue with that. This is just such an ugly word, and it represents centuries of, of hate and murder and all sorts of terrible things. And I'm not saying to take anything away from the LGBTQ plus community, but certainly uh, the um, perverse use of the N-word is really sickening and hmm. it's tough for us all. But, but thank you for this opportunity to speak, Steve. Yeah, and, uh, Larry, I really appreciate the call and the really provocative thoughts there. Um, Aya Simone, I'm, I, I want to get you to respond to what Larry's saying. You're African-American as well as trans. Do you find Dave Chappelle's comedy about black people uh, as offensive as you find the comedy about uh, the trans community, for instance? Uh, th that question, again, of intersectionality, I think, is is really interesting and nuanced but but mm -hmm. but very important when you're talking to someone who lives in those in those communities you live in both right so i think the thing with dave chappelle is that in the height of his career he was you know i i would call it chronicling black life and you know and putting it on screen and like you know a lot of people enjoyed it and it was brilliant it was you know all of the things because he was very poignant, you know, his points were very poignant and brilliant for, you know, the time around race between race relations between black and white and, you know, and all of that stuff. What I find, you know, what I find, which is also common with most black cis heterosexual men, they're very keen on their racism, but then they kind of like they double down on their misogyny and homophobia and transphobia. <laughs> and then it just kind of feels like, oh, <laughs> Well, do you really understand this at all and the point of it all? And so I think as a black trans woman, you know, his, who's also not class, like, I think what's important to distinguish here is we have to name that he's a class person, he's rich, mm -hmm. so that his interests, his interests are different than that of like someone who is not, you know, who is working class or poor or who is, you know, gender variant or gender expansive. Hmm. And I think his comedy just, or his politics has not evolved since his comedy central run. And I think that, I think that's something to note. So I, I also want to ask you about uh, during the special, something Chappelle says when he addresses the LGBTQ community directly. And he says, I'm not telling another joke about you until we are sure that we are laughing together. Uh, what do you make of that? I mean, it sounds like damage control to me, honey. Um, <laughs> like, um, it's, it's like, I mean, after you done did all of this all these years, and now you're trying to, like, trying to make some headway and be like, oh, we're going to do this. Let's laugh together. I have not, I've yet to hear a joke from him that wasn't him punching down at us. And, you know, and I make jokes in my film that actually don't punch down at other trans people. It's very possible, although, you know, it sounds like it's out of his his skill set, mm. to be honest. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, it just sounds like damage control. It doesn't feel like a genuine sense of like because the reality is his politics are still the same he still believes gender is a fact he still people he still believes that you know women are biologically you know women are biologically this men are biologically that 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 gender essentialism is a very tough habit to unlearn um and a framework to unlearn as people in, in this society and so i'm i i i find it hard to believe that he means that that well it might be it could give pr mm. <laughs> <Wow>. yeah <laughs> uh again larry really appreciate the the call and the, the the thoughts let's go to alex in gross point alex what's on your mind hi there can you hear me hi yep i can oh the radio is just a few few seconds behind sorry about that <laughs> that's okay go ahead <laughs> um so uh, I just want to preface this with, with I, I haven't seen the uh, the Dave Chappelle special, um, and, and I don't plan to watch it because I don't think there's room for jokes about the LGBTQ community, the queer community, because there is not, and it may seem like there is, but there isn't parity between that community and the rest of the country, the rest of society. Uh, 
it reminds me of people who kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of tinge when they hear a, uh, a Jewish joke. And, and I always think about Jackie Mason, um, famous Jewish comedian, rabbi turned comedian who just died uh, last month, and, and also Don Rickles, who told jokes about Jewish people and really were laughing with the people he was telling jokes about. Hmm. Um, and I think it only really became socially acceptable because, one, he was, these two comedians were Jews themselves. And, and two, um, after you know, decades of, uh, of sort of assimilation, Jews did have parity, and there wasn't an assault on the Jewish community like there currently is on the LGBT community. Nobody today is trying to make laws about the Jewish community, and, and we see states, uh, red states, that are making all sorts of laws about specifically transgender people. Hmm. Um, so it, it feels like, you know, how can you make fun of somebody when they're, they're under attack? That, that's like um, salt in a wound. Today, you know, I'm Jewish, I make Jewish jokes, um, but in the, the vast reality that we live in, there's no, uh, there's no mass murder, there's, there's no uh, hunting of Jews going on right now. But you do have places in the South where it's not safe to be part of the queer community in any, in, in any of those letters in LGBTQ. I mean, it's just not safe. And so you can't make jokes about those people. And you certainly can't say, well, I'm, you know, I want to laugh with you. It's, it's, you know, they're not laughing, they're suffering. And, and we need, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not part of that community, but I am an ally. And I, I don't want to be part of uh, anything that's going to uh, be a detriment to the progress we've already made into accepting those people uh, for who they are. Hmm. Uh, Alex, I really appreciate the the call and the perspective there. It's a really, that's a really interesting take on all of this. Uh, Roland, I, I want to get you to respond and and talk about whether one of the problems here, which is what I think Alex is getting at, is that Dave Chappelle is a member of the African-American community. And so when he makes jokes about black people or black issues or just blackness, it's one thing. He's not a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And so when he makes jokes about those communities, it does seem more inappropriate and, and like he's punching down. Is that, is that one way to think about this, Roland? <clears throat> That, that is the key way to think about it, because um, as I mentioned earlier in my comments, that um, I was really drawn into his humor because he was a Black man speaking about Black culture or being a Black man in America. And um, which, again, when you are part of that community, you do have certain license that you are able to do that really others cannot. If some if, if a white comedian starts talking about being a jigaboo or something, then you know, you know, everyone should be up in arms, you know, because you know, it's like you, you don't have that right or that license. In this particular uh uh special that he does, as well as some of his others, is that he is making comments about communities he, he is not a part of. And thus what he does is he's given license to other people to also punch down. Uh, I, I'm gonna give an example from, from what he um, spoke about. He, um, I, I mentioned about how he talked about the Me Too movement and the, the Women's March. And he talked about a female, I don't know if it was a comedian or someone who was kind of up in Hollywood that he called and said, hey, are you going to the you know, Women's March? He's like, you know, I'm not gonna go and I wish you know, all of those, and I believe he talked about um, all those white women, you know, get maced or, you know, tear gassed or something. And to me, when you make comments such like that, that is giving, you know, then others who are either ambivalent about the topic or who are against the topic license to say, that's right. I agree with that. And just because he or Netflix may not, you know, feel like they're going to incite violence. You're not responsible for your audience and, and what they are liable to do. And especially when it comes to this uh, topic of violence against uh, trans individuals. Again, it's given license to people to make fun, to question, you know, um, the legitimacy of someone's humanity. And um, that's, I, I would say about 60% of this whole special was simply focused upon, you know, trans or the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to walk away uh, not feeling some kind of way 
about the LGBT community. And going back to your, you know, the core of your question about, you know, being black mm-hmm. and um, uh, and and speaking about other communities, well, he sets up this dichotomy that um, being black is different from being gay or being LGBT identified or being trans identified. That you know he, uh, you know, one of his lines was about, you know, you can, you know, kill a black man, but you can't hurt a gay person's feelings. It's like, well, (laughs) there are black LGBT individuals, two of which you have on your show today. And so to still try to paint this false narrative that the two communities aren't, you know, overlapping or, or intersectional, you know, plays into an old narrative that a lot of people within the African-American community mm-hmm. play into. And it's like, no, you know, you need to open your eyes, look around and to see the kinship, the family of who, 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 who makes up this community, your community that you are a part of. And so by his comments, uh, it, 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 it just continues to separate uh, various communities. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Reverend Roland Stringfellow and Aya Simone, it was really wonderful to have both of you and your really great voices in this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about Dave Chappelle and his stand-up special, The Closer, and the controversy surrounding it. We're going to talk with a social psychologist next who has spent more than two decades studying the effects of disparaging humor. He had a very different reaction to the Chappelle Netflix special. We'll hear what that is. We want to also continue to hear from you, the listeners. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. If slaves had baby oil and booty shorts, we might have been free a hundred years sooner. You know what I mean? You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been talking about Dave Chappelle's controversial new stand-up special on Netflix, as well as the blowback he's been getting from all kinds of corners, but especially from the LGBTQ community and its allies. Right now, I want to welcome in another voice to the conversation. Dr. Thomas Ford is a social psychologist with Western Carolina University, and he has spent more than 20 years studying humor, especially disparaging humor, and the effects it has and doesn't have on the spread of prejudice and negative stereotypes in society. Dr. Thomas Ford, welcome to Detroit Today. This morning. So you say that the way we use humor changes the rules of what we can and cannot say in social situations. Expand on that just a little bit. Okay. Well, um, disparagement humor, it really invites us to think about and, and respond playfully to sort of an underlying message of derision. Uh, and it communicates sort of this implicit message, this implicit underlying message that in this context, uh, expressions of such derision can be uh, treated sort of lightheartedly, uh, playfully, rather than, uh, than in the usual critical manner. Um, and so... Uh, the, when, when, say, a comedian, or just, just uh, when, when people are uh, sharing uh, jokes amongst themselves in any context, you know, the joke teller and the, the recipients or a comedian in an audience, uh, they sort of uh, implicitly create uh, a new rule for the situation that it's okay for one another to express uh, derision and, and with, without fears of reprisal because they're going to relax the critical sensitivities in this context, at least. And so this frees up uh, people who've got some prejudice to express that prejudice without 
concerns of repercussions. And so uh, put Chappelle's Netflix special in into that context. What's your reaction to it, first of all? But does yeah. it qualify as the kind of humor you're talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, my I guess my reaction, my overall reaction is that, you know, Chappelle's uh, special, I think, I mean, I think it's a, it's a complicated issue. I, I think uh, there's, there's questions of artistic leeway to push and stretch the boundaries of, of, of normative conduct and decency in a playful way um, that we've historically, uh, you, know, you know, given comedians. You know, they've traditionally made fun of people, ideas and movements, values that are shaping culture. And yeah, we've given them a lot of leeway to do that. And so that that's one issue for me. And then the second is ethical responsibility for, for what we might say. And, and, you know, I think my research adds or it suggests that there's um, something to the ethical responsibility that we need to consider uh, more than just or beyond just how offensive um, a particular routine or a joke might be. And that is that these downstream uh, consequences or effects. Um, and so, you know, my research, when I, when I put uh, the Chappelle's uh, uh, routine in, into the sort of the framework or look at it from the framework of, of, of our research, um, you know, we find that when people are exposed to disparagement humor of various types, that again, it frees them up to express prejudice uh, that they that they already have, and uh, they express it in a number of different ways. And when we've shown that, in the context of um, disparagement humor of different kinds, people show greater tolerance of discrimination against the targeted groups. Um, they are, have a greater willingness to discriminate themselves as well. Hmm. So, so I would say that, that, that you know, in, in thinking about uh, the, uh, the possible, con- or, well, the, the ethical responsibility in this case of, uh, you know, of this kind of humor, I think, well, we've got it. I think the comedian should be responsible to, to think about, you know, the potential negative consequences that it might have, as, as well as positive consequences, and, and kind of weigh those uh, in, in and before deciding what to, what to joke about, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry, welcome to the show. You know, I'm a Polish descendant. You know, we used to have Polish jokes years ago. I don't mind <laughs> if you guys Polish telling a joke. Sometimes you've got to step the bounds. Unless you lived in that community, you know, him telling jokes about gay people, that's kind of over the top. About black people, yes. It's like a living color. They mm-hmm. made fun of the black. Mm-hmm. It was all in good taste, and people appreciate it. But sometimes mm-hmm. you overstep the bounds, unless you're part of that community. I don't think it's funny. Yeah. Harry, that's a really, that's a really great point, and, and we've been talking a little about that. Uh, Dr. Ford, I want to get you to mm-hmm. talk just a little about, uh, again, membership in a community and, and how it may change the humor that you use about it, and, and again, this, this effect that you're talking about on other people. Does right. it matter if you're a member of a community, you're making fun of them, mm-hmm. but are you still opening the doors to tolerance of discrimination? Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you remember a uh, comedian Andrew, from the 90s, Andrew Dice Clay? Of course, yes. Well, Andrew Dice Clay made a living on you know, sort of raunchy, sexist humor. Well, and some of our research, we showed people, um, you know, skits uh, or uh, jokes presented in an Andrew Dice Clay sort of manner uh, by a man that was disparaging women. And, and, and then we, we exposed people to the exact same uh, jokes presented by a woman. And in a third condition, by women and men together sort of bantering back and forth. And then we measured people's uh, uh, perceptions of the, of the norms of, of tolerance of discrimination. So in other words, how, how tolerant are you then of a separate instance of discrimination that you encounter in that context? And what we found, ironically, is that uh, when women and the, the mixed audience told such jokes, it gave much more leeway for prejudiced men, sexist men, to express their sexism 
But when those same jokes were told by, by men, it had, it had no effect whatsoever. So interestingly, the very people that we give license to tell such jokes, right, members of the in-group, are the ones that have the biggest effect on changing those implicit rules in a given context in ways that uh, permit people to express their, their prejudice. And the reason for that is that when the when Andrew Dice Clay character in our study um, uh, he told these sexist jokes, people didn't uh, think about the jokes in a lighthearted, uh, non-serious human mindset. It, what it did is it actually called attention to the inappropriateness of the behavior and reinforced the, uh, the, um, the egalitarian, non-sexist norm in that context. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, uh, Dr. Thomas Ford, I, I would love to be able to talk with you about this for hours today. It is so interesting, uh, but we are out of time. I want to thank you, though, for joining us and really helping us uh, understand more about Dave Chappelle's Netflix special. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is going to do it for us this week. Come back Monday when we're going to take a look at the Detroit City Council elections, as well as how the corruption probes involving council members might play a role in the November elections. We will also talk about why you should be paying more attention to local elections no matter where you live. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.